listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Testudo Times Podcast. It's more of a mini pod. It's just Thomas and I today, but we figured because there is still a lot going on with football, we need to get to some of it. We can't ignore it. If this was just a normal Maryland season, we might have well just ignored the game that just happened. And to be fair, I would have liked to ignore the game that just happened, but we can't do that. So we're going to spend some time talking about some football related things. And well, there, there is still news coming every day with this football program and not a lot of it's good. Uh, we'll start with Thursday after we recorded all of our complete nonsense, those two podcasts that we had to record. Uh, the chair of the board of regents, James Brady resigned. And yesterday we're recording this Thursday afternoon. They announced a new head of the Board of Regents, and they basically all threw their hands up and said mea culpa, which they should have done when they made the decision to retain D.J. Durkin in the first place, but better late than never. Yeah, it's been sort of an interesting uh, little time for them. And, uh, and obviously all of this sandwiched around an election, and no one wants this to be political, but of course it's going to be political. Well, once the governor of Maryland says, what the hell are you doing, guys, it became very political. As prompted by his uh, opponent. So, yeah. like, I mean, let's be honest. We, we all know Hogan won by a big margin. Everybody knew that was going to happen. But he won brownie points by saying the obvious, right? I mean, most people in Maryland knew the story. And it's a big story in the state of Maryland. And, I mean, it, it sucks that you have to play politics with this. But, I mean, as a political move, it's not a bad one by a governor who is having an election in a week or two and just won by a huge margin. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it, you know, if he gets involved again. But I think just the last few days of the Board of Regents, which, by the way, I think, the, you know, I don't know too much about Linda Gooden. Obviously, like her bio is good. There's a reason she's she's on this. She's been on a lot of executive boards before. Um, you know, had a really successful business career. I like um, that a woman's heading the Board of Regents. That's probably good. Yeah, an African-American woman. Um, also very good, yes. I think that'll help out a lot. Maybe. I mean, the the, the interesting thing, a lot of people had thought uh, Barry Gossett was sort of in good position. He, I mean, he was the vice chair for a while, and he was sort of the interim chair for the, like, five days that James Brady had resigned. Um, obviously, Barry Gossett, I think a lot of people were concerned with how how connected he is to maryland college park athletics you know really understandably so i mean he his 20 million dollar gift to maryland came right after kevin anderson resigned with damon evans basically in charge he's been a big supporter of evans and wallace Lowe, um and so that's i think that's just someone they didn't want in the highest position at this point well, that's fine. I understand that. But the other concerns that they had about Gossett, you know, being too connected with Maryland College Park, because, of course, the Board of Regents is all about the Maryland system. I mean, the, the Board of Regents made a terrible decision vis-a-vis College Park, and they were clueless. So anything they talk about when it comes to being too College Park-centric comes on deaf ears as far as I'm concerned. And if anybody who had more knowledge of College Park ended up getting their way, that wouldn't have happened. So... I don't really want to I think, think you see here's the thing is I think Gossett was fighting for all those guys. I don't know whether he was or not, 
whatever the case may be, the Board of Regents still made a very bad decision for the entirety of Maryland system that would have been easily avoided if, you know, they had thought more college park-centric in this case. Whether Gossett was fighting for them or not, it still doesn't matter because James Brady took the fall and Gossett's still on the Board of Regents. He was never going to be the head of the Board of Regents because, again, I can understand being too college park-centric. In many ways, it's a concern when you're the chair of the entirety of the Maryland system, but still. They made a terrible decision vis-a-vis -vis College Park, and the entirety of the Maryland system took a complete nosedive because of it, at least temporarily. So maybe that's just me where I stand looking on it from the outside, but you hope the Board of Regents now knows more about what it did and realizes, yeah, we screwed up. Even though they admitted late that they screwed up, at least they admitted that they screwed up. Yeah. I don't really think there's much else to say about that, but now we focus to... Uh, College Park-related matters. The two trainers that were still on leave, uh, Wes Robinson, the other guy whose name I'm forgetting. I apologize for that. Steve Nordwall. Thank you. They both got fired, and that's no real surprise at all. Uh, once. Well, it, it was after uh, they, the board also recommended Maryland reinstate them. Well, I mean, at, at this point, the board just made a complete terrible hash of it. So, you know, again, the board made recommendations. Maryland did not have to take them. And... Clearly, they didn't, and it made sense for them to let them go, and they did. And that happened yesterday as well. So, at this point, yeah, I, mean, I think we got most of the house cleaning minus Evans and Lowe not stepping down until the end of June than most people were wanting. Yeah, I mean, and we'll we'll see what happens with Evans. I mean, there's a reason we haven't written about him. Like, I don't know what where uh, Linda Gooden comes down on Evans, whether or not she wants him gone as well. It's definitely interesting to see how that Because I know Brady didn't. I know Gossett doesn't. Um, we'll, we'll see beyond that. Well, like, I think Evans in many ways... If is, there's another referendum on him. Yeah, I think in many ways Damon Evans, you could argue, is most responsible for what's going on at the athletic department. But even then, there's like, quote-unquote, less of a reason to fire him. It's a weird dichotomy I've been trying to wrap my head around. Like, Evans, in many respects, should be fired for what he's done, but in many ways, it's like he never ran the athletic department. Well, he kind of quasi-did for a while, but, you know, a lot of what happened before him, you could argue, wasn't his fault, even though he played a role in it. Like, I, I can see the more of the logic why Evans would stay, but even then, I'm still on board with you need to clean house and hire somebody who has nothing to do with Maryland athletics to come in and revamp it. But at this point, the less we hear, the more likely I think it is Evans stays. Yeah, I mean, I would agree if, you know, I haven't heard anything in a while. It's been over a week since I've heard anything about, you know, even rumors with him. And I think that was because of, you know, the board changing leadership. So if it resurfaces, then, you know, we'll pay attention. But if it doesn't, then we won't. I think it's also because of right now, you got to hire a coach. Something, somebody's got to be in charge. Right. I mean, like there was a lot of talk before when Evans was probably going to be fired that they were going to get Gary Williams to be the interim, which I mean, I would have been in favor of, but I would not have been in favor of him being the full time AD because of. Just yeah, I don't think he won full time. What? I don't think he I don't think he ever wanted it full time. Well, no, I don't. I'm glad he didn't because I wanted if they fired Evans, I wanted somebody to be in charge at Maryland that had no connections with Maryland whatsoever so they can come in from the outside looking in and then just completely start from scratch. But if in lieu of that, I mean, at this point, I think it seems pretty clear that the athletic director is going to stay. And now he gets 
not much of a chance. I mean, I guess he kind of gets a chance, but if not a lot changes and there's a new university president, there's a new board of regents head, if it doesn't change in the next year or so, he could be gone too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair and we'll, we'll see. I think that's the best point. Like now with personnel, it's like we'll see. Because I think at this point, the dust has mostly settled. Have we heard anything about the McNair lawsuit yet? I haven't. Okay. Because, I mean, they had a really, really fiery press conference after it was announced that Durkin was going to be retained. And then they said something about there being some peace and closure, and we haven't really heard from them since. So I don't know what that entails, but we'll see where it goes from there, and we'll obviously cover that if news breaks. In terms of, like, actual football stuff on the field, there is going to be attrition in the program, and there already has been. How much this is related to DJ Durkin being fired, how much is this is related to the chaos that's still going on inside that football house, I can't really tell, but they've lost two defensive backs who were decent contributors. Uh, Quantrez Knight left earlier in the week, I think, and Marcus Lewis also left. He played in the first three games. I think he started the first three games and barely heard from him since. I mean, there's attrition at every football program, but I don't know if there's any links to what's been going on or whether it's coincidence, but two defensive backs leaving in the same week. It, it's newsworthy, and Maryland doesn't have a ton of depth back there and now has less depth back there. Well, I mean, Maryland did have a lot of depth back there coming into the season. It was just now it's a lot younger depth, like freshmen, the backups at Nickel Corner, for instance. Um, we've seen a lot of freshmen play safety, some redshirt freshmen. So, like, it's it's a much younger position group now than it was. Um Personally, I don't really think either of these are that. Neither of these are directly related to the chaos. Um, Quantrez Knight, Matt Canada said this week, like they've known about that since the Sunday after the Minnesota game. And Quantrez Knight, he was a big contributor his freshman year and has contributed less and less every year as other, um, just other safeties have kind of overtaken him. Um, he had played some nickel, a little bit of safety this year, just you know, was a rotational guy and wanted to be more than that. And I think his best chance to do that was somewhere else. Knight had played four games, so he, he'll get a red shirt. And I, we'll see if he's available immediately next year, wherever he goes. Uh, as far as Lewis, I think Lewis just, I don't know for sure. I mean, the reports on this have been for like quote unquote personal reasons. Um, I've heard he and the coaching staff, like at the moment didn't get along great. I'm not, sure if that's Canada specifically or if, if it's any coach in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had started three games and then he's played in two games and started one since. So we really haven't heard much from him. His numbers have been kind of quiet. He had 11 total tackles. So, you know, it is a loss, obviously. Maryland, I think, will be able to survive these, but but we'll see going forward. So those are depth players for now, and they also lost another recruit. The first recruit that they lost, I forgot his name, but I think it was also a defensive back. Trey Rucker. Yeah, okay. So lost a, that's the first recruit that they lost. Again, you can't be surprised that stuff like that's going to happen, um, and it did. And they also picked up a recruit this week, which I'm surprised as all hell happened during all of this. It's Mike Tomlin's son. That's going to make Ravens fans happy. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't understand committing during this i understand current commits not pulling back yet i i'm surprised like i hadn't really 
heard a ton about Dino Tomlin in connection with Maryland. Like there have been a lot of, there are a handful of guys on their, you know, recruiting trail who've been kind of silent commits for a while. And I'm not sure whether or not they still are. He wasn't really one of them. I knew he was somewhat of a target. So, so we'll see. I mean, it's, it's always exciting to add someone, especially now it's, you know, kind of the good news you don't expect. And it's really the best Maryland football news we've gotten in a while. Um, a lot, no, 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 no. I'm going to change that. The best Maryland football news we've gotten in a while was our friend Alex Kirster getting name dropped by Scott Van Pelt on the Sports Center a couple of nights ago talking about Bobby Petrino's buyout. That was the best Maryland thing that has happened in a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's up there with the. Uh... I immediately texted him, like, Alex, did you hear you just got name dropped on Sports Center by Scott Van Pelt? And it was like, cool, go Terps. <laughs> he's, he's humble and modest, but I'm sure he's much more excited about that than he leads on. Because that's pretty cool. I certainly would be flouting that if every possible way that I could if it happened. See, I thought I wasn't sure whether it had happened before. I don't think it has. So I guess not. I, I like to watch that Sports Center a lot because it's Scott Van Pelt, but I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened before. I mean, obviously Scott Van Pelt respects a lot of the SB Nation football staff because he has uh, Spencer Hall on all the time. But hey, good good for Alex. That's the most happy I felt about Maryland anything in a while. So can't complain Fair. about that. And also, we have to add uh, one more thing on football, not on the field related things. Uh, this fight that you mentioned on the last football show we talked about, uh, Matt Canada addressed it, uh, was obviously vague about it. Do we know anything more about that? Because it's a bizarre story. That uh, Canada didn't address it at all. Well, I mean, he addressed it <laughs> like, by saying it by saying something about it tangentially. No, people have asked him, is Matt Barber still on the team? And he said, well, he hasn't talked to me and he hasn't been around. So... <laughs> So, like, a really long way of saying no, but, like, not officially, but no. Yeah, so so this one, when we recorded this the first night, you know, this is when sort of Billy Murphy, you know, sort of started the pop by talking about the fight. He was really the first person to talk about it publicly. And, you know, there's there's a reason I was like, we didn't, you know, really do much reporting on it because there was some pushback about it. And over the last few days, there's been a lot more. Like, really, the whole Maryland team seems to be in defensive leads here. The story that the, – the updated version of the story was that Barber was sort of bad-mouthing a different player, and Lees sort of stood up for him, and they both kind of traded jabs and punches, and Barber did not connect, and Lees did. So, like, a bad hockey fight. Yeah. with I mean, with punters, I'm not sure you can expect a good hockey fight. Well, I'm going to tell you, some of the hockey fights I've seen recently are really bad, so – you know what? Maybe it's not that bad at all. But I've never, I've never, you know, I, I've gone to respect punters a little bit more. Seeing that Iowa punter throwing a touchdown to an offensive lineman against Penn State was part of the reason why. And there are other reasons, too. If you follow my Twitter feed, you might be able to figure that out. But, yeah, I was not expecting to hear punters fighting as a thing that was going on amidst all that we were dealing with last week. No, but expect the unexpected. This is March. This is, no, the dysfunctional Viper Pit, sir. Uh, in March. In in March and November. <laughs> yep. That's that's the way it goes. And now in terms of actual football on the field, there was actually a crowd for Michigan State, but the game went exactly as you thought Maryland against any real team was going to go, and the offense didn't show up. Whoever the next coach of this team is, they got to find a way to get Maryland to be competitive in these games. 
I mean, yeah, so here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's like Michigan State has a good defense. They've got a particularly good but run defense. They were injured as hell. They, they are susceptible to big plays. And so, like, the three other teams Maryland had lost to were less susceptible to big plays. Like, the best in the country at stopping big running plays in particular, which is Maryland's biggest strength, period. And so Michigan State, like, that was sort of their one weakness. They had an otherwise good rush defense. And so I was like, I don't, I actually picked Maryland, although I could have easily seen the game going how it went. And it did. At this point, we have to assume that when Maryland plays a real team, nothing's going to happen on offense. And that's a shame because we know this team's capable of more. We see it when they play bad teams. But as an observer, at some point, you just got to throw your hands up and be like, okay, why can't they do anything against a real team? Because, I mean, it's one thing to blow out Minnesota. It's one thing to blow out Illinois. It's one thing to blow out Rutgers. But, you know, you're going to be in the Big Ten East, and the Big Ten East is going to be good forever. you got to be good against real teams at some point. And Maryland against the three real teams they've played in the Big Ten this year, not been competitive. Yeah, I mean, it's the the disparity in the, in. Maryland I believe has been now, incredible. I don't know how many total yards they had in the Michigan State game, but I did remember calculating before. They had exactly 100. Okay, so they had 610 low. yards total in their four losses this year. 610 yards total. They had over 700 against Illinois. That's yep. no accident, but it's also really concerning. And Matt Canada's addressed it, but it seems like every time that they play one of these teams, they go turtle. Not to use a bad pun, but they just do nothing. And you you watch it happen, and you're like, I'm not surprised it's happening, but it's still eminently frustrating every time you watch it. Yep. So, I really don't know what to say more about that. I mean, two of their final three games are against real teams. Now, one of those real teams has no defense, but do you expect Maryland to have any sort of success against Ohio State on the evidence we have? I mean, to me, the 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 thing between all the, the common – ground between all the teams that have killed Maryland is good defenses so like it's reasonable to hold out some hope there I'm not at this point I, I can't. mean I know you're not and it might not be smart to oh, I'm see. not doing that I'm not doing that at this point I thought there was a chance against these three teams and they've completely failed I don't think it's reasonable to assume that they deserve another shot fool me three times shame on everybody but I mean, again, the defense held them in the game. The defense, defense almost the game. got him within a score, and then the defense okay, had its little collapse. That Byron Cowart play is probably the most Maryland football play I have ever seen. I watched I mean, that and went, you've got to be kidding me. Because here's the thing, like is, that, that being a touchback, that being a touchback, like... And then the next play it's a net yards for a touchdown. Well, it's a net four-yard gain on that play, which is the silliest thing. Like... Yeah, it's it's not. And good. I, well, obviously, the next run going for eighty yards is kind of just Maryland. A gut punch on top of a gut punch. It's Maryland. That's very Maryland. That's all I can say about that. And again, a lot of Michigan State's players on both sides of the ball were backups. That that to me is even more concerning, because against a weakened Michigan team, they got bullied. Against a weakened Michigan State team, they got bullied. And this is a very veteran-laden offensive line. So you wonder what happens going forward when they don't have the experience in those kinds of positions and you're going, uh, uh-oh. But maybe we shouldn't think about next year yet. Uh, Indiana, Saturday, another nooner. Maryland's played every game but two this year at noon. 
Uh, they probably have to beat Indiana to make a bowl. But Indiana's four and five. They lost to Minnesota, who Maryland destroyed. They were much closer against Rutgers, and Maryland destroyed them. I don't want to use that as any evidence that Maryland can beat them, but Indiana's also, I think, really injured. They've been competitive against some good teams. They were competitive against Ohio State. They were competitive against Penn State. Uh, decently competitive against Sparty. Uh, I don't know what to expect in this game. I have no idea. There's a potential that Maryland blows them out, and there's also the fact that Maryland might lose. I mean, it's, it's one of those hit-or-miss kind of things. And I have no idea the way this game's going to go. Well, Indiana is not going to do to Maryland what all the other teams have done to Maryland. And if they can, I don't know. I think it can either be a close game or Maryland could blow them out. I don't, I honestly don't think Maryland gets blown out in this game. Indiana just doesn't have a defense that will shut Maryland down. You hope so. I mean, I, I hope so. I, I'd like to think that Maryland could win this game. And if they do, they get to bowl eligibility. And then the last two games are gravy. But who knows at this point. There's a chance. There's a chance. I think there's an opportunity for Maryland to do decently in this game, uh, considering most Indiana folks have probably moved on to basketball by now. To be fair, we have too, in many respects. Yeah. But I think there's a speaking chance. Speaking of which. Speaking of which, uh, do you want to talk briefly about Delaware before we get to non-revs? Because I didn't that. watch a second of that game because it was on BTN+, and there were other things going on on Tuesday night. Uh, the Oilers were playing the Lightning. That was really an interesting game. I really liked watching that. And also I was watching the Champions Classic, which was crazy. Um, we won't focus on that. Uh, that game went, I think, the way that most Maryland early season games against not great teams do. They have a really great stretch, and then they get the yips. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like Bruno Fernando was the best player on the floor, and then he got in some some weird foul trouble with somewhat questionable calls, especially the last couple. Um, and so Maryland without him just wasn't the same team. And now fortunately, they had Jalen Smith. They had Jalen Smith to bail him out. Yeah, but that's got to be a big concern. If like if you're not having Bruno Fernando against like again real teams, uh oh. I mean, Jalen Smith's gonna get better, and obviously he played really well. But still, that's got to be a little bit of a concern. It is. I mean, just because Bruno Fernando is the one guy Maryland doesn't have any sort of optimal replacement for. You know, this is where losing Schneider Harrah. Who like wouldn't have even been eligible for these games? Um, but he would have been eligible in the Big Ten when he would have been needed more. Yeah, I mean that that's that's sort of the one thing because even Bender and Joshua Tamayich, the other two people that you could call centers, and you would be lying, but like they could fool you for a minute. They played a combined eight minutes. I'm surprised by some of the minute distribution I saw. Again, I was basically following the game through your live tweeting. And the minute distribution for those guys was shocking. I was as stunned as anybody else that they got that low. I thought these are the games you give them 10 to 15 and see what they can do. And they didn't give them that. Now, I don't think that's going to be like that in the future. But still, a little bit worrying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Maryland, I think my biggest fear with this Maryland team is that there's only six guys Mark Turgeon ends up trusting. I don't and... think that's going to end up happening. But, no, it'll probably, you know, I think realistically it'll be this sort of 10-person rotation, but there's a clear gap at the moment between top six and bottom four. Well, that's not a surprise, but I think you still have to give that bottom four like at least seven, eight minutes a night. You can't give them four. You really can't. Yeah, Ricky four. Lindo did get, he got the most run out of that group, and I was actually pretty impressed by him. Were you surprised I mean, he got more he didn't... run than, uh, than um, Sorrell Smith? 
No, because okay. Sorrell Smith is a guard on a pretty guard-heavy team at the moment. Okay, well, these are all things that can be worked out. They've got more cupcakes before they get to the real meat of their schedule. Navy on Friday on the CBS Sports Network, which is the place you, of course, watched Maryland lose in Niceville, Florida last year, and then NCA&T, and then Hofstra, I think, Mount St. Mary. So they've got more games like this, and I don't think they're going to have the same sort of yips they had, but we'll see what happens going forward. I don't think that's indicative of how Maryland's going to play, because Mark Turgeon said his teams have looked like that early season, and the young teams. He mentioned the American game from a couple years ago, which is very similar. Even when they played, had great teams. They had a game against Ryder where they were awful a couple of years ago, and they ended up winning by seven. These things happened to Maryland earlier in the year. I don't think it's really indicative of much, but there are some concerns. But I think that also Ryder excitement. game might have been the first Maryland game I went to as a fan. They well, were down. I called that game, and I remember it vividly. They were down 43-29. They were down by 14 to Ryder. Yep, that definitely happened. Yep. I probably still have the play-by-play reel of that somewhere. Let's not dig it up. Uh, hey, I, I don't think I did that badly in that game. It's not about you. It's about I don't want to remember that. Oh, okay. If you don't want to remember it, that's fine. But <laughs> I got I to gotta call games sometimes which Maryland doesn't do very well. I called a women's soccer game in which they lost. So, hey, you know, what can you do? Uh, we'll get to see more games going forward. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously concerning, but it's early in the year. And Jalen Smith played really well. And if he could take the step going forward like that, then that's a huge plus for Maryland. If, and Aaron Wiggins isn't going to go one for eight. Anthony Cowan isn't going to go four for yeah, 14 all the time. Yeah, they shot as poorly as they're probably ever going to shoot. I don't also, think that's going to happen again. Wiggins played like 37 minutes because he also got five steals. Like, he was great on defense. That's another good little positive things you know because they because Wiggins played like that I mean I guess what you could tell Eric Ayala did some good things as well Smith was obviously great you know and what about Daryl Borsell didn't he hit the first three of the year he did hit the first three on the first possession of the year and that's and then Maryland Maryland went two for 19 in the game that's got to be an auspicious sign though right yeah I mean his his shot is back I mean it's it's to where you would like it I think and that's we've we've talked about this and I think we have a little bit more proof now that it, it's in a pretty good spot. A real shot from Daryl Morsell makes him a really complete and interesting player. Yeah. So, there's a lot of good reasons to be optimistic. There's a lot of reasons to be concerned, but it's early season basketball. I don't think anything you can take a lot of from a game in November against a not great team is something you can carry forward in the Big Ten play, though we will say. Uh, let's focus on non-revs now because that's something else that we could not even remotely talk about with all that's been going on with football and the basketball season preview. Uh, Field hockey won another Big Ten championship. There's no surprise there. Here's what is surprising, though. They are going to potentially, in the second round of the tournament, play the team they lost to in the national title game last year. How the hell does that happen? I don't know, because, you know, UConn was the, you know, they were number four in the poll and number five in RPI, I believe. And so essentially putting them in College Park is like giving them the seventh seed. Which they don't they don't seed past the top four for better and worse, but it's certainly confusing. I we've talked about seeding in a lot of tournaments that's just bizarre. Usually we're talking about the women's basketball tournament as being the one where we get weird seeding, but that and I'm not a field hockey expert by any stretch, but seeing that made me go, Are you kidding, guys? What what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean that was that was obviously a bit of a surprise, and also like Maryland's first round opponent, they've lost to the last two meetings, including in the NCAA tournament. Albany, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting, but they get them at home. I mean, at least should be favored for Maryland. You can go 
tomorrow, Friday, they play Albany, and if they win, they'll play UConn on Sunday. And if or UConn, Rutgers. Or Rutgers. Yeah, we can't forget about Rutgers. Jesus. We can never forget about Rutgers. God almighty. Uh, <laughs> women's soccer season is done, unfortunately. The men's soccer team, Big Ten tournament against, I don't actually know who they're playing on Friday, and I'm sorry about that. So they are playing Indiana and at Indiana, Indiana which yeah. is not going to – they they almost, like, forced overtime against Indiana, but – this defender who's the best offensive player in like the whole league uh, scored two goals, including one in the 90th minute. Set pieces, set pieces, set pieces, said one Rutgers alum. More Rutgers jokes uh, in this podcast. I'm sorry. I don't do this intentionally. It just happens that way. Well, if Maryland beats them, that would be fantastic. But I, They would. I, I mean, Maryland getting, the, getting a walk-off win basically against Michigan State. I think Maryland is in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they'll have a home game. But they'll, they're probably in because they've had now enough wins where I think, and because their pedigree, they're probably going to be in. Don't yeah, know I mean, they're, they're, to, go. they're top 20 RPI. They're, they're just very clearly a good team at this point. They're not one of the vintage Maryland teams, but they're a good team enough to be in the tournament. That's, I think, all you could really ask for. And I bet if you asked Sasha in a candid moment, he'd probably tell you that too. And that's, that's good to see. Uh, I hope they beat Indiana because Indiana is obviously a very good program and Maryland kind of came in and dominated the Big Ten for a while, and now it's not quite their conference in the same way it was, but you hope it always will be like that. Uh, and then women's volleyball, on the road at a ranked team, sweeping them. Yeah, Adam Hughes now has more ranked road wins than, okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> God. Speaking of jokes about Indiana. Oh, man. When I read that article last night, my ears perked up. I was like, ooh, well, this is really good. And I wasn't expecting to say it. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of following along, and then I look back, I'm like, wait, they, they won those two sets, and then they held on in the third. So, I mean, that I mean, this is the kind of team that, you know, I don't really think they're that much of a threat for the tournament at this point. They, they lost a lot of close matches early in the season that they could have won. Maybe they'd be in a different conversation at this point. But um, they're doing really well. As you know, in the Big Ten, they're seven and eight, which is as good as they've been, I think. Well, good. Um, Consider the Big Ten in volleyball: Minnesota, Nebraska, Illinois, Michigan. Yeah, like game. three of their last five opponents are top ten teams. The Big Ten in volleyball is to the SEC in football, basically, just complete murderers row crazy. And to be anywhere near like that, and to go on the road and win at a ranked team and sweep them in three sets, it's a big step up. Yeah, I mean, especially with a team that had come into College Park and I think beat Maryland in four. That's a good sign. I like that. Whatever it means for tournament purposes, of course, there is no Big Ten tournament in volleyball. I think we should mention that. I think it's it's not double round robin, but I don't know what it is. But whatever it may be, that's a good win for Maryland, and that's exciting. Yeah. And in terms of other things, read Andrew Terrell's blog. That's the only other thing I... I think I have. Read Andrew Terrell's blog. I've got Mellow Trimble's averaging 26 a game in Australia. That's interesting. What team does he play on? I forgot what team he plays on. Cairns. That's right. Yes. We made a joke about not knowing where that was at one point on this show. I still don't know where it is. I kind of know where it is, but I'm a geography nerd, so I could tell you where a lot of random things are. If Where in the World of Carmen Sandiego was still a show and I was 10 years younger, I'd probably do pretty well on that show. Regardless of this, uh, Kevin Herter, I think, missed his first game last night. He's played decently well for the Hawks, at least. And Alex Lenz averaging over 10 points a game for the Hawks, which I checked last night. 
I can't believe I did that. Yeah, I mean, those two guys are doing pretty well. Is Lehman still starting? I do not know. Don't ask me. I'm not exactly one person to care about the Portland Trailblazers. Side of him. But if he's still starting, then that's three Maryland players in the NBA doing better than I thought they'd do. Yeah, Herder, Alex Len, Jake Lehman is still starting in Portland, even though he's not playing that much. Um, so, it's, you know, it's nice to see. Yeah, Herder's played pretty decently well. I mean, to the point where I think you could argue as much as it would have been amazing to have him back in College Park, he made the right decision. Alex Len, I know the Hawks are bad, but he's still averaging double-digit points a game, which is surprising. And, and Jake Lehman starting on a playoff team from last year, even if he's playing 15 minutes, is very good. Yep. Can't really complain about that. Not really. I mean, maybe well, one of these the days we'll see. The thing I can see. complain about is I have to pay attention to the Atlanta Hawks. That's a thing I can complain about. Yeah, but we've got the Oregon. We've got the uniforms. We've got Trey Young. It's it's fun enough. Um, I've been to Atlanta Hawks games in the past. The only thing that was good about it was the organist. We I can a, tell you this they didn't have experience. They didn't have Trey Young and Kevin Herter yet. They did not have Trey Young and Kevin Herter. Uh, even with Trey Young and Kevin Herter, I still find it hard to care about the Atlanta Hawks. Fair. So, um, yeah, if you've been watching college basketball the last couple of days, it's all about Duke. Are you annoyed by that yet? Not yet, but we'll get there. I think we have to, even if they're very enjoyable to watch. It's like watching teams that you really dislike become likable in a way that you weren't expecting. It's, it's bizarre. Although, there is a player on Duke named Jack White, and then every time... That name is mentioned. You know what gets into my head, and I want to bang my head against the wall. I'm yeah, so I think sick that's of that our best now. Hope. That's our best hope. That's if that's the best hope with Duke not winning this year is people getting. Well, the best sick hope with of, not win- with Duke not winning is a team slowing them down so much. Nevada, Virginia, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That could you have to root for Virginia to beat Duke. That's kind of not good. Or North Carolina to beat Duke. Also not good. Yeah, so pick your poison. Pick your poison with Duke. It's very unfortunate, and I don't like that at all. But Or Kansas. Know, yeah, Kansas too. They looked pretty good against Michigan State, I have to say. They, yep. they looked pretty good. Michigan State. With a roster though, just littered with almost Maryland recruits. That's the that's the funniest thing about the Champions Classic, is they were mentioning Kelvin Johnson. Like, oh, that's an almost Maryland guy. Oh, I Kansas. mean, here's Kelvin Johnson. Here's Devon Dotson. Here's Devon here's, Dotson. Here's all these guys who nearly Here's Emmanuel Maryland. Quickly. Like, that's the other thing about when you're watching, they're like, oh, right, I remember when Maryland almost got those guys. Apparently Cam Reddish was almost the Maryland target, but he, he was always a little too good for Maryland. I mean, it's not like Maryland got bad recruits in any regard, but you were watching these. No, but Maryland was just in on so many five-star guys this class. almost got them. I think it's the almost that kills you, right? And you watch them play, and you're like, oh. Yeah, I mean, like, just all those different guys had crystal balls to Maryland at different points, or at least a handful of them. I know Johnson did. I know Moses Brown did. Yeah, Dotson was close, too, I think, at one point. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Maryland struck out. They got pretty good recruits anyway, and yeah. you saw evidence of that. But when you watch those big games, and we're going to be seeing a ton of Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, obviously, and you're going like, ah, they were so close. I mean, here's the thing, though, is other than maybe Jalen Smith, like, I don't think this is a class of one and dones, which... And even Jalen Smith, you can make an argument that there's a chance he comes back. We'll see. I'm not going to be optimistic about it, but... We said that about Bruno Fernando last year, too. I was more confident with Fernando because he was not a top 15 recruit. 
He wasn't, but you know what? There are arguments to be made that Jalen Smith could be better served with the year more at Maryland, but who the hell knows at this point? The NBA draft is a bizarre exercise, and what the hell was that, as evidenced by Kevin Herter? Anyway, that was a mini-pod that ended up going a lot longer than I thought, but we need to get to all these things, especially football-related. We will be definitely covering the normal scope of podcast work next week. We'll get to football, we'll get to basketball, we'll get to all sorts of things. We'll have a lot to talk about, and you'll be back on a normal schedule. And we will until Maryland hires a new football coach. That's probably the next time we'll have to do some sort of an emergency podcast. And at least after the last couple of weeks, I'm glad to take off emergency podcasting for a while. We hope. I hope, yeah. At this point, who the heck knows? But until then, of course, go Terps.